Welcome to Lord Clark and Friends, episode number seven. Record. All right, welcome to Lord Clark and Friends, episode seven. Uh, tonight we're again talking with uh, Lord Cran. Howdy. Hey. Um, okay, so one thing that I wanted to uh, get off the my chest or whatever I want to say is I was reading the newspaper this morning, a rare event for me, because I do consider print dead as far as uh, on the physical paper, um, but I saw an article about people trying now, since the new uh, legislation was passed, where you can change the terms of your mortgage, or the courts can change the terms of your mortgage, there were people trying to get Massachusetts courts to actually start changing the terms of people's mortgages. And I was shocked that people are actually trying to vie for this right now. And it was starting to (laughs) kind of tick me off. And I was glad the legislature is doing nothing about this and allowing allowing the... uh, things to play out the way they're supposed to, which is people get foreclosed on and get kicked out of their houses. Now, it's kind of annoying that there are other people out there trying to take our activist courts and make them more activist, but it's starting to tick me off. What do you think? Well, (laughs) I guess I don't know where to begin. I mean, I, I, I like holding our state, our fine state that it is, and to a standard, granted the standard is somewhat low. Um, right. I, I know I've gotten into a lot of uh, lunchtime discussion with uh, coworkers who just, you know, they're just so out there. They're out there. They're out there in far left field, and they'll they'll push for these ideas. I, I can elaborate on that a little bit more later. But you know, the the issue comes up is well, government itself, how, how slow. How monolithic and how slow-moving are governments to take action, be them at local or, you know, uh, national level? And Massachusetts hasn't been exactly swift on a lot of things. So, you know, there's this whole uh, repeal the state income tax, which is not necessarily – it's a hot issue right now, but Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily directly related. But if you were to say, well – the, uh, hold the state responsible to enact a change in the law when it passes immediately, you know, for example, you're going to see pushback, okay? Yeah. If, if the uh, repeal the state income tax, uh, yes on one, as it's refec- uh, affectionately referred to by most people, yes on one, vote yes on one, um, will it happen? And yeah. so along those lines, my, my, first, my initial thoughts, I, I guess, yeah, I, I've gone around a little bit around in circles, but at least I've got my background thinking in on this is, look, well, the realistic part of it is, you know, our state and its government attitude is both liberal and fascist all at once. And, you know, with the idea of, oh, we should take care of certain people, but... We should punish everybody else who isn't those certain people. So along that line of thought, I think, you know what, if it is going to happen, sure, it's going to start in Massachusetts first. And there is another uh, starting in Massachusetts first thing I did want to mention, too, and that is uh, Peabody police, I guess, have been pushing for 9-11 to uh, 
the, the tragedy of 9-11 to become a, a, a holiday where either they would get the day off or they get paid an additional 25%. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So I was like, well, that's not right. But, you know, I guess that the news on that happened a couple days back, but it was sort of on my mind. You know, you look at what the state does and it's like, well, who are we going to harm? Who, who's going to suffer? Because, and the, the people who suffer are the people who uh, probably are the most worthy of what they have gotten and what they have done, you know, as opposed to people who are failures asking for handouts. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. I, I'm kind of interested in this PVD trying to make 9-11 a state holiday, or at least a state holiday. Um, I'm always up for more state holidays. I believe it's city. It's at the local scope, not necessarily at the state. Oh, so it's like one of those, like Boston's uh, evacuation day. And right. uh, what was the other one that it, ha- that it celebrated? Um, Bunker Hill Day. There's a VJ Day and E E something Day and well I I think, I think it's Bunker Hill Day that conveniently oh. fall, falls on uh, St Patrick's Day in Boston right so everybody in Boston gets it off so they can go uh, go drinking <laughs> right <laughs> so it's just interesting to see uh, see some of these local holidays that people get off. Um, well, well, how about, you know, adding to the list, say, somebody bail me out and take away my mortgage day. Hey, I'm all up for that. Um, you are? <laughs> no, I'm not. You want to pay for it? <laughs> no, I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> you will. <laughs> oh, I, I, by the way, this taxpayer bailout is going, you know, somebody, hey, let's rewrite the terms of my mortgage and have somebody else pay my mortgage for me day. Is coming down the is coming down the pipe real fast. So, what are the specific details on this rewrite the mortgage thing? You have a specific example. Um, I don't have a specific example. the The big thing that I saw was that people were trying to protest the courts to, are the, the foreclosure court, the the court that handles the foreclosure, um, to start rewriting the terms of loans, um in which the courts have actually been very hesitant to, to kind of get into the way the article sounded, in that yeah. they're not really sure. They want to get into a mess where, you know, where they're rewriting the terms of people's loans on a whim. Well, let me ask you something. Do you believe that this is a, be- a bench judge that would make the decision, or is this something where they would bring in a jury? Uh, my honest opinion is it's going to be a bench judge that has the decision because the jury is going to say, even if they bring in a jury, the jury is going to say, okay, well, the terms of your loan were bad, and the jury may decide that piece, but it, it's always the bench judge who gets to decide sentencing or the terms of the agreement. So, well, I think it makes a big difference because if you have just a bench judge and no jury... That's a little bit too powerful, don't you think? It's always judges have always been that way. They've always had that kind of power. Mm. And usually, I mean, for most part, I'll give for the most part judges in our country they use precedents 
they use things that have happened in the past to kind of guide them in their future, but I got a feeling that I don't want to see who the activist judge is who makes this first decision on rewriting some, the terms of somebody's mortgage. Because if they, you know, if It'll they do it, it's going to become a landmark case. And right. that's the guideline that's going to go in front of everybody else. Now, I can see some huge, huge repercussions there depending on what judge actually does it. Some may just, you know, rewrite the term slightly, make the, yeah. either make the, you know, make the loan longer to kind of balance it for both sides. Um, I got a feeling where the most rewriting is going to happen is the, uh, the extra interest they get to charge if you fault on your loan. I think is where most judges are going to wind up going, but that really scares me in the fact that, you know, some judge can just say, okay, I can cut your payments in half. The law says I can, you know, right. and well, what does that mean for the lender? You know, uh, well, obviously it'll do what most people, most, you know, rational business owners would do. And that is find a place to do business that's more profitable. Right, which means loans are going to become almost impossible unless you've got unless you've got most of the money. You know, you're almost a no fault. Uh, mm. You know, you're going to become you have to become someone who has almost no ability to fault on the loan to get one. Uh, which really kind of disturbs me. Or well, let, 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 let me ask you something about loans, right? I mean. Uh huh. Is it such a big deal that people can't get loans? At least individual citizens, not necessarily businesses. But if people can't get loans, okay, is 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 that supposed to be seen as dark times are ahead for the average person that's over thirty k in debt or whatever? Or does it mean you know what they're gonna stop being so damn stupid and start saving their money or buying only things that they can afford? Um. It's an interesting question, and I don't know the answer to it. The less loan money that's available, especially in the housing market, will directly affect the, you know, as you can see right now, directly affects the economy, but will directly affect many things in the economy. Um, by They've definitely proven over the long term, ownership makes better citizens. Uh, which makes your cost of living go down. Uh, because if you can get people to own houses that they can afford, quote, afford, um, you actually reduce crime. But the thing is, if you look at the person who owns a home and they pay taxes that increase at a geometric rate... Right. Or what appears to be at least a, a upsloping, increasing rate over time. Right. Okay. Then it's like, well, if the tax scale is progressing upward, okay, and people mm -hmm. are being extracted more so by owning property, you know, and homes, why is there an incentive when they're paying the burden? For perhaps the thirty to forty percent of all 
taxpayers who actually, or sorry, of all people, 30 to 40 percent of which, minimal, who don't pay any taxes at all. Right. Uh, I'm not really sure uh, where this question, where this question kind of leads us. Well, I know where it comes from. Well, yeah, I do We're too. We're getting screwed. You understand this? Oh we're no no! We're screwed every which way we turn. We're taxed on usage. We're taxed on consumption. We're taxed on land. We're taxed on, you know, anything we buy. We're taxed every which way we turn, and sometimes we're taxed more than once. Well, I agree. And in my honest opinion, is instead of looking to see what service the government can give me, it's how can the government change my services. So I don't need to pay any more taxes. Mm-hmm. What what am I willing to give up? Okay, I understand my property tax actually has a direct reflection on what services I get more than any other tax out there. Straight mm-hmm. up, and and I I agree. I it's one of the few taxes I actually think I can see a re- direct return to my money. Yeah. You know, granted, I do think that. You should pay more if you have children in school than if you don't. Yeah. If your household doesn't have any children in school, you should get a prorated uh, tax relief. Yeah. And you should be paying more if you have children in in these schools. Well, Um, you know, I think this is one of those things where there's a double-edged sword with the concept of family values. When it comes to taxation, people with families are rewarded so they start having you know basically baby factories to try to get more for their money well some do i mean most most educated people will have one three kids at most it's usually the baby factories you know the the very poor are the very rather kind of stupid um, well, smart, smarter people have fewer children in general. That's pretty well known. Right. But, but there are know, a few cases. people have no kids. Is that what you're sort of getting at? Well, hey, look at the two of us. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> it was a prime example. Uh, we didn't rush off to have kids. Um, <laughs> no, couldn't afford them. Yet, at least. <laughs> well, well. That's something else I've kind of come to a conclusion about in all of this. It's not that I can't afford to have a kid. It's just that I don't want to cramp my lifestyle to afford to have a kid. Uh, you're talking semantics. Well, yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I look at it in that way. I have okay. to look at it in that semantic argument. Look, I don't want to go out and have a kid right now. So... You know, because it causes me to have a relationship with a female, which causes me to spend money. Uh, then I have to spend money on the kid. Then I have to spend money on, well, I lower my taxes, but in reality I spend more money on taxes because the kid wants things. Um, so I wind up spending more on taxes anyways. I can't see what the advantage of having a kid is. He's going to soak me dry for my cash. Then I'm going to have to spend more cash on taxes in a literal sense. What? Where does it get me? Uh, okay, yeah. So, hmm. So I hear the Red Sox didn't make it into the World Series. 
A nice transition there. Uh, yeah, well, that that's ticking me off on, a, on another level. I actually don't mind it this year. I, I really have had enough of the, the Red Sox fever over the past couple of years. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time just watching, keeping up. You know, it's like, oh, are they going to let me down? Yeah, probably, but, you know, hey, watch them anyhow. This year I just skipped the whole thing. Well, I was kind of, um, I kind of had the traditional Red Sox uh, fan view. I was kind of glad to see things get back to normal here. How are they going to screw it at the last minute to possibly <laughs> screw it so that the sky is falling again, you know? And they managed to do it, you know, bring me to the wire here. Uh, game 7 of the ALCS and then screw themselves yet again. Uh traditional Red Sox values. Let's sell off our best, the player that's going to help us probably the most in the postseason in Manny Ramirez to the Dodgers because we don't like how he acts and now we paid for it again because we could have had, we needed that player in our lineup in the playoffs and we didn't have him. Mm. Uh, Especially this year when everybody else in the damn lineup was broken down, hurt, uh, Falling apart. Falling apart. We need a whole. We need half our lineup needs to be thrown out, and we need to buy better players. I don't care how much I have to spend on a seat when I go to the Red Sox. I want to see a winning team. I want to see a winning game. You know, if we're not winning 162 games a year in the regular season and going undefeated in the playoffs, then we're not buying enough players to do it right. Uh, <laughs> It sounds like you'd like the government to run the problem here. You just buy your way out of it, right? Just throw well, more no. money at the problem. Right, but in baseball, that's the solution. Okay. Well, it hasn't exactly worked out for the Yankees a lot lately. True, but when they stopped throwing more money at the problem, look at what happened. They went from being first place to no place. Uh you know, it also requires good leadership at the top, but, you know, we need, you know, if we've got the money to throw at the problem, let's throw it. Uh, you know, until, you know, I do agree that everything should be an incentive-based contract in major leagues. Yeah. You know, so that if the player doesn't play, he gets the league minimum. If the player yeah. plays, you know, it depends on how well he plays, on how much money he gets. Revise the whole thing. If you're a superstar, you should get X amount of dollars for every pitch you throw. You think the same standard should hold hold true for employees, regular employees, like it? You know, people who make under a million dollars a year should get incentive-based, merit-based raises, regardless of profession. Yes. Oh uh, no, no. Excuse me. Oh uh, well, which is it? Because uh, there are some professions that just don't deserve merit-based raises. <laughs> if you're going to be a philosopher, if you're going to be a philosopher, you deserve to make nothing. <laughs> right? Well, prostitutes—they're—they they're, get—they get merit-based pay. They, you know, well, they get tips, but right. they don't necessarily get merit-based pay. I don't know. I mean, you know, I. I assume, I haven't found this out personally. I assume oh. there's a difference between the fifty dollar whore and lol and the three thousand dollar prostitute you have to uh, call the special club for. 
Oh. Hey, so what have you heard of Spitzer lately? Anything? Spitzer? I not much. No? Oh. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm drawing a blank on it. Uh, let's see. What else? I was trolling the news. Uh-oh. There's a woman who says she's 134 years old. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How do you uh, verify that? I have no idea. Can you do carbon dating on a living person? No, it won't work. No? No. Can you take a bone out of her? Can you like, take a little bit of a sample off, grind off a little bit of, like, maybe a finger or something? Uh... I guess you could, but that wouldn't really work either, because your skin regenerates itself quick, more quickly than your age. Oh. Well, that's not good. Yeah, it's really I mean, hard to prove. She thinks bluffing, don't you? What? She's bluffing. I don't know. She wants to say she's 134? Well, good to her. Yeah. So where does that put her? Let's see, 134 years ago? You mean when, not where, right? Where, yeah, it puts her in the 1880s mm. when she was born. Mm. Oh, she's seen a lot of crap. Uh, yep. Had she been uh, born uh, 30, 40 years prior, she would have seen the Civil War. True. Wouldn't mind meeting somebody who did see the Civil War. So you seen you've been watching True Blood. Yes, I have. What do you think? Um, great show. Yeah. Uh, I do like the, uh, you know, there was that scene where he was talking about uh, living through the Civil War. It was interesting to find out how he got turned into being a vampire at, during the Civil War, or just after it. Um, kind of want to see more of the uh, the vampire that turned him. She was kind of interesting. Do you want to become a vampire now? I mean, having seen the show, is it something that you'd want to seek out and maybe go to one of those clubs and become a fang banger? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to be a fang banger, as you put it. <laughs> I, think, I think there's been many people who've... Uh, Compared me to a vampire with my, you know, sleep all day uh, kind of habits. And the sunglasses. The sunglasses during the day, and the people think I wear uh, wear uh, sunblock when I'm outside in the sun. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I think I've come as close as you can to being a uh, non-vampire vampire, but... You want to score some V? No, I'm not into uh, vampire blood or Viagra. No. <laughs> I think it's a kind of cool idea. I mean, the concept's definitely cool. Yeah, that is definitely an interesting concept. That. Uh... Who knows? I mean, if if uh, marijuana becomes decriminalized, maybe they'll you know make vampire blood legal now too. Well, that should be legal no matter what. 
Yeah. You know, I did. I remember seeing the uh, bumper sticker, Save an Endangering Species, the Vampire. Where have you been driving? This is at your lull. Oh. <laughs> Back in the day. Oh, here's another one. Virginia woman killed by her 13-foot pet python. That's been a lot. There's been a lot of like snake kills people type stories in the news lately. She's only 25 too. Hmm. Police say Amanda Ruth's black husband came home around 11:30 p.m. Tuesday and found her lying in the bed in a bedroom. The snake cage was open. Black was pronounced dead at the scene. In preliminary medical examiner's report, indicates she died of asphyxiation. Police say Black was trying to give her 13-foot python medicine when the incident happened. Animal control officers found the snake in the bedroom and are holding it at their office. The case remains under investigation. Yeah. Probably not a good idea to have a pet snake. Yeah. That's very true. I bet she didn't have kids. I don't think so. Either or that or ate the kids. Not for long. Yeah, not for long. <laughs> oh, this is funny. Uh, Indianapolis. A convicted sex offender died Sunday during a struggle with a father who found a naked man in or near his 17-year-old daughter's bedroom, police said. (laughs) Glad to see the man was taking the law in his own hands. Hmm. Well, he broke into the house with a mask and latex gloves. Entered the home through a window near the girl's bedroom with rope, condoms, and a knife. I guess if are you're going to... Are you saying he was prepared? I think he was. The girl awoke and screamed, saw a man in her bedroom, police said. The father responded, struggled with the intruder, while the girl's mother called 911. The police did not, in, did not anticipate any charges against McNally. Yeah, I think they wouldn't person breaks into your home, you are justified in using deadly force and defending your family, said Mount. In this situation, I don't think he was trying to kill him. He was just trying to hold him down. Now, what state was this in? This is Indiana. That wouldn't fly here. Um, He would be up for manslaughter. Yeah, he'd probably get acquitted, but he definitely... they try to charge him with manslaughter here. But they also, I mean, he, in this one, he did say he was trying to hold him down and inadvertently killed him. Uh, and hold him back from attacking his daughter, so. That, <laughs> that, that would go over pretty hard if you, you'd be pretty hard to get a, convince a jury that he committed manslaughter. And not. Involuntary. Involuntary, yeah, well, no, he would have committed involuntary manslaughter, but he would have been, he definitely would be tried. But it yeah. would be pretty hard, in, even in Massachusetts, to get a jury to convict the guy. I don't know about that. I, I mean, if they could prove any suspicion that he, uh, you know, might have known the guy, for example, right? Well, yeah, he, I mean, they know. Uh... Easily, 
you know, get man too. See, I've watched enough Law and Order to know how this works. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and I agree, but see, that makes me an expert. I could actually, you know, I can talk the talk, but and not, you know, you, you get on these kicks. I mean, you spend an afternoon or two watching the lineup on TNT, you know, the the TV station. Yeah. And if you watch Law and Order enough, you'll think you can be a lawyer. If you watch ER enough, you think you can run an operating room. True. So <laughs> you can just bark out commands and say stat and uh, you know scalpel and uh, you know um, calipers or <laughs> chest cutters and just be ready to you know do your own surgery. But sometimes I like to make it mix it up, you know, mm. and say, well, uh, um, approach the bench, uh, chest cutters, please. <laughs> hmm. I think that's about it that I have for today. Really? I don't know about you. I mean, we're already 47 minutes into th- Are we 47 minutes into this? I have lost. Oh, that. no. 29 minutes. Sorry. I haven't exactly been watching the clock. I've been uh, paying attention to the topics that we're talking about. Yeah, we've been bouncing around a little bit tonight. A little bit? You think? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah, here's another one that I thought struck my eye a little bit, but it wasn't really. It's payback times. Banks warned in threat letters. (laughs) I guess the FBI is sending out threat letters to banks now, saying that if you've committed fraud, um, you're going to be prosecuted. Oh. Mm. Um, there was a quote here. Is it okay to still keep paying your mortgage if you got one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there have been warnings out there. People not paying their mortgage anymore because they think the lenders are going to go under. Yeah, until the lenders uh, get sold. Right. Hey, I think it's about time to talk about canned foods again. Oh. You know, preparing for the new depression, the one that's on the way, perhaps. The one that's already here? (laughs) Perhaps the one that's already here. (laughs) Yeah. I've become quite the fan of the uh, uh, ravioli and the spaghetti and meatballs already canned. Also, corned beef hash. I guess you're supposed to... uh, have uh, I've read? I don't know. I, I did mention this a little bit, maybe offline or something. But I guess there are some religions that have a, almost a mandate that you should have, like uh, a year's supply of food and supplies for the event of emergencies or sort of thing. Oh yeah, you remember you, that? Yeah, you were talking to me about. It. Wasn't that the? Uh... Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that we were talking about had this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was them. Yep. Yeah, the Mormons? And, yeah, and they also have their own uh, they have their own canneries, like they can foods, and they have their own supermarkets and things like that. Like, that aren't real supermarkets, but they make them look like supermarkets. They're called bishops. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I think I sent an article you, to you about that. Yeah, you did. I read it. It was it was kind of interesting to see that they had like this supermarket that was just there for the poor. Mm. It, was, it actually was kind of like, hmm, that's a good idea. And, yeah, uh, you know, but and I then guess, and then they members too. I mean, it's members first, I yeah. guess, like members of the church and people who uh, are in really hard times. I guess they like, they let people in for Katrina, but. They also um, let people like work off debt by doing things for the church, like mowing lawns and helping out and things right. like that. Well, but, yeah, I noticed that. They said if you were a man in the church and you didn't have a job, they didn't have a problem with helping you find work to do to if you were going to take money from the church or take oh. benefit aid from the church. You know, the church also felt the need to help you find some work to do so that you weren't just taking. Right. You know, and I thought that was a really interesting way to handle things. Yeah. You know, instead of just letting somebody have their hand out all the time and giving them handouts, you know, they they actually went out of their way to help them do something, you know, to feel like they earned it, um, which actually helps the person in the long term. You know, help them get back on their feet. Well, give them a job to do. Uh, you I know. think that's the way charity is supposed to be run. I don't think, yeah. you know, government handouts, is, which is what happens more often than not, uh, is any good substitute for the role of your churches and synagogues and, you know, your religious affiliations. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, this is the, the right way to handle charity. But one thing that, you know, um, I was reading is that if you do have supplies of canned foods and things like that, you want to sort of make some of them part of or ease them into your diet so that you're actually eating them so that it doesn't become a shock to your system and you get sick, I guess. Yeah, well, you don't want to just abruptly change the type of food you're eating. Yeah, I mean, it, um, it would be really bad if you found out you had an allergy after you bought, like, a hundred cans of something. And, yeah, exactly. You know, and when you hit really hard times, you start eating them and you get sick. And yeah. You don't feel well because of it. So, um, but, so I've been actually testing out, you know, making sure that I'm building up a good tolerance to canned foods. And one of the things I really like is corned beef hash. Uh, there's, there's something about, I mean, granted, any food that's preserved in a can is either preserved in the core ingredients of life, mm. sugar or salt or grease. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And there's just nothing quite like listening to corned beef hash uh, spitter or spit, spit in a frying pan just with all of its grease and its greasy goodness doing its thing before you're about to eat it and get your arteries to start hardening. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so, it, it pays to be prepared. Know. You should yeah. be prepared. And the, the time's coming up. They're hard. And it, you, you, if you can find any way... To start cutting corners so that you will be better prepared for the coming impending doom, then you should. 
Yeah, well, I was just thinking about what, you know, the old traditional canned foods that I've eaten, you know, SpaghettiOs. I was thinking that that actually sounds like a good time, uh, something good to eat. <laughs> and then I was thinking about some chicken noodle soup and saying I could make some of that for myself right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I have been at least, you know, a couple times a week, if not more. I mean, there, last week there were a couple days where I only had some canned foods. And it's it's interesting because if you, if you shop for yourself on a regular basis and you were to buy, like, say, fruits and vegetables, it's mm. amazing how quickly they go bad. And you're like, well, why bother? They're going to go bad anyhow. I'm just going to throw this stuff out. And, you know, waste not, want not. You don't want to be wasting any of that. So, yeah, true. You know, I'm like, well, now I can buy canned fruits, canned vegetables, and if I don't eat them, they're still going to be good two years from now. Yay. <laughs> it's a win. <laughs> it, it, it's a, a cultural win. It's like, uh, well, not just a, well, not a cultural win, but it's, it's definitely a win. <laughs> mm. That's true. All right, you love spaghettios, don't you? Yeah. You want those spaghettios? Yeah, I do. They're calling for you. <laughs> Take me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, we're gonna call it a show here tonight, as we're in 37 minutes. Uh, we seem to have uh, discussed a few of the things that we wanted to discuss. Well, and if any of our listeners would like to. You know, throw in uh, some input of, of say, some of their most favorite canned foods so we can prepare for the pending depression. Uh, please feel free to email us, call us. Don't show up at our houses. No, don't, don't do that. Don't stalk or harass us. But otherwise, you know, find a way. You can send telegrams. Well, did did I mention, I don't know if I've mentioned to you, we do have an email address for the podcast. It's podcast at lordclark.com. Uh, we also have, if you want to register for it, if you go to uh, lordclark.com and click on the Lord Clark and Friends uh, podcast page, you'll bring up to the uh, podcast page. And there we have a link to our forum, uh, which you can register for and uh, leave us feedback that way. Um, I'm more than happy if you send an MP3 along in your uh, email that I'll plug it into the podcast and we'll listen to it and uh, comment on it. Uh, so we have a few ways that you can get a hold of us. Um, Do we have the PayPal going yet? Uh, we don't have the PayPal going yet. Well, pretty soon, or, or what we could do is just use the same email address that we've got for yeah. podcast at lordclark.com. And if you send a, a PayPal and some canned food that you'd like us to review, we'd be more than obliged to go rush right out and purchase it and get a can opener and open it and do whatever it takes to prepare it. We're there. We will do this. We will do this as a service to our listeners. Well, we're more than willing to do that for our listeners. Um, yes, we are. Uh, and we're more than willing to accept donations, though we haven't uh, set up that PayPal uh, link yet on the website, but that is coming soon. But they can actually just send a PayPal to that address 
and we'll get an email, and it'll open up an account for us automatically, right? I didn't realize that. I'm pretty sure it will. Okay. Well, we can find out. We'll look into it at least. We'll look into it, but we can also look into getting a PayPal account for that email address. Right. That shouldn't be a problem. Or have a PayPal account that's associated with the podcast. Uh, that shouldn't be a problem. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Our contact information is podcast at lordclark.com.